Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 26. We will take verses 19 through 32 in our exposition. We will stand and read verses 22, 23, 28, 29. Please stand for the reading of God's Word, verses 22 and 23, and then we'll go up to 28 and 29 and hopefully give some context to what we will be considering this morning. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Please be seated. If you're not familiar with this story, it's, it's quite remarkable. If you are familiar with it, it's very exciting um, what's going on here. Paul is um, being examined for any charges that they can put on him as they send him to Rome before Caesar. And he's standing before the governor of that region, the Gentile governor, and uh, uh, a non-Gentile governor, uh, pardon me, and a, a, the king of that region, Agrippa, who is not a Jewish, he's uh, Gentile also. And I hope I do better as we go forward this morning, <laughs> because that's not a good start. Give him Jesus, that's the title of this morning's message. And I, I want to open up with just a little application of what's going on today in Christianity, and hopefully it, it comes off... Um, clearly and firmly, but certainly with, with love and concern. Not long ago, uh, people avoided going to church because they did not want to hear what God had to say. They were afraid, if I go to church, I'm going to hear the gospel, I'm going to hear about Jesus, I'm going to hear about my sins. But that seems to be changing now. People are not so afraid to go to church, because some churches, or church period, because they don't expect to hear God's word. They're going and they're wanting to hear, you know, um, good things about my life and my future and that I'm going to heaven. But they don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear reason from the scripture. They certainly do not want this present culture attack. Now, it's not everybody, of course, but it's a growing number. and It is a concern. Has the church become so leavened that it surprises people when they go to church to actually have the Bible taught to them? Well, people will get up and leave a service where the pastor is just preaching the word. Well, what did they come to the church expecting? Why would it be a shock, a surprise? Why would they be offended to hear God's word preached in God's house? Well, it has to be that there are too many churches that are not doing this. They have made safe zones for Satan if they're not preaching God's word in God's house. In this culture, the people are coming to these types of churches sought with antichrist ideas. And they insist still that they're going to heaven and that they're Christian and that it's okay. We should be upset about this. It shouldn't just, well, you know, it's the age we live in. Nonsense. This is an attack from Satan. This is an offensive um, maneuver to dumb down the church and populate hell. And uh, if you invite someone to church, prep them. If they're not Christians, if, or, or if they are saying that they're Christians, but you know they have no interest in what the Scripture says, prep them. Say, listen. Uh, you're going to get it between the eyes if you're not a, a friend of Christ and his word uh, to help you, not to, to hurt you. But it's going to hurt if you are going to uh, try to find comfort in uh, 
not addressing sin. And stone-cold blasphemers, fake Christians, have nothing to fear from a Bibleless church. However, they have nothing to hear from a Bible-teaching church because they won't go. They don't want to be a part of that. What does all of this have to do with what we're talking about this morning in this section of Acts? Well, Paul's going to give him Jesus. He's not holding back. He's not saying, well, I know you don't want to hear about repentance and sin, so I'm, not going to, I'm just going to say, you know, hey, King Agrippa, hey, uh, Festus, you know, God has a plan for your life. And he wants you to be happy and rich or whatever else it may be. Well... This, there are people, growing numbers, attending churches, insisting that churches agree with this sick, sin-filled, dark, and violent culture. If sinners have any chance of surviving death, then sin has got to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. This is not self-righteousness. This is not legalism. Legalism, the Lord says, thou shalt not kill. That's not legalism. It's this commandment of God. Uh, So the question is, especially for you younger ones still in high school, will you turn on Christ? Will you side with this world? Will you insist that you are still going to heaven while you trample the word of the Son of God? That's going to be your call. But you need to also remember that there's going to be enough Christians that are ready to stand by your side and keep you strong if if that's what um, you want, if you want the Lord. Well, that is uh, hopefully a uh, good segue into what we have here. Now, verse 19. Now, remember, Paul, they've been examining him. What are we going to send him to Caesar with? uh, What charges are we going to send him to Caesar with? Verse 19, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He starts off, well, he continues, for he had already given to them how Christ saved him and what Christ told him to do, to go preach the gospel. And so now he's continuing and he says, well, I complied with that. I followed, I'm following my orders. Paul knew how to take orders from the Lord. Had more pastors and churchgoers followed this example of complying with the commandments of the Lord, we would have fewer broken churches. And we've got a growing amount of broken churches. And thank God there's still churches that are preaching the word and still people in the pews supporting those churches. But, you know, to have this worldly attitude of asserting yourself when you go to the God's house... Uh, you can't hear what God's saying. You're too busy trying to uh, achieve or get or whatever it is, something for yourself uh, without submitting to the Lord. And we Christians should help non-Christians on how to go to a church, how to attend attend church. The Bible talks about it. If, if the first few verses of Ecclesiastes 5 is one of the first places I would I would send you to. There are others, but that's just a quick one. Anyway, Jesus brought Paul face to face with Paul's sin. That's what he does. He brings an individual face to face with their defects before God. Well, what should he do? Ignore it? Let it run wild? As though it didn't matter? Well, it does matter. It's a personal problem. and God wants to help us with it. And we know that. One of the reasons why we who serve the Lord love him so much. He's so gentle with us, so patient, so ready to go forward in spite of our flaws. And so, of course, uh, before he met Jesus, Paul was very useful to the devil. This is why this has something to do with all of us. He's no different than me and you in that respect. Before you come to Christ, you are the devil's flunky, whether you know it or not. And, of course, there are different degrees as to how he will, he will use you. How many politicians are in Washington that are the devil's flunkies? And they don't even believe in the devil that's playing them like a fiddle. Well, Satan needs people to be useful to him. And, therefore, be useless to God. God doesn't want it this way. But what is he supposed to do? 
If a person is determined to stiff arm him. Satan wants to give humans advice about God. About life. He's giving advice to Eve in the garden. Ha, ah, God didn't really say that. He's, this is what he's doing. I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. There's never been a shortage of takers for the things that Satan wants to give people. And that is advice on God, advice on life. Always goes opposite of God, without exception. And his advice to this present generation, and when I say generation, I'm not talking about a single age group. People who are living today, who are romping off with those things that the world holds sacred. And they're holding these things sacred now. The, per the perversity, the insanity, uh, it, 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 the, the lack of rat reasoning. And uh, again, they hold it sacred because if you dare say anything against it, you're going to pay. It hasn't always been this way. The people used to even say, live and let live. Now they try to destroy you. Uh, they render you uh, just marginal. No voice. Uh, irrelevant. And they'll come out and say, don't listen to the Bible teachers that are teaching the Bible. Listen to us about the Bible. If you listen, and if you want to hear anything about the Bible. And uh, listen to those in those churches who agree with this apocalyptic culture. This... We are heading towards fulfillment of the prophecies in Revelation unlike every, ever before. And the reason why we can say that is because the technology is helping us to understand what those things mean. Uh, never, no other generation has had uh, so many parts of the puzzle come into place to understand right in front of our eyes where this is going. I mean, if you went to a theater and you saw them, the stagehand setting up the stage, you could probably get an idea of maybe what's going on. But when they really got it all set up, you'd know. You'd know where that, first, where that act was going. And that's what's happening with us. Paul warned uh, the Christians 2,000 years ago. He said, be blameless and harmless. How do you be blameless? Well, I might not get there. But God counts the effort I put into that. It means something to him. Because to put no effort in it means uh, another thing to him. Be bl become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault. Now remember, he is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God enjoys forgiving those who come to him with a contrite heart. And he will separate. The fake believers from the make-believers. Uh, well, that's the same thing. The fake believers from the true believers. This is why we should have coffee up here. <laughs> no, we should not. Drinking coffee in the middle of service. That would, the ground would open up and swallow me up if I did that. Anyway, coming, coming back to whatever points I was trying to make with, with you. Oh, from Philippians. Uh, so he con con continues, children of God. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. God does not have a low opinion of Christianity. The world does, for whatever reasons. Let's not help them with that. This world is satisfying their need for love with those who do not love the Christ, the maker of the universe. We Christians have to learn to satisfy our needs for love in Christ first. Other loves can fail. They don't always, but they can. His love does not. And when you think his love is failing, that is your sign, indication, after you've examined yourself, said, Lord, I don't, know, I don't know why I feel like you don't love me. That is your leading to hang tough from him. He's just going to encourage you. Just be strong. I know it hurts. I know it's unpleasant. Be strong. Uh, otherwise, there'd be no such encouragements in the Scripture to persevere, to overcome, to, to force our way through whatever barriers this uh, enemy of ours in this world puts before us. And so Paul stands before them and says, I have complied with the commandments of the Lord to preach the gospel. In verse 20, 
He said, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. That word that he uses for repentance, it really means guilt. Dealing with your guilt before God. There is a pure and holy God. And we are guilty as sinners before him. We are born that way. We don't sin because we're sinners. We sin because... Oh, wait a minute. This is... A, this is we have... Just rewind this a moment here. Oh, excuse me. That phone for me? I'll be right back. We sin because we're born sinners. And, and, and yet God makes a way of escape. And... If Agrippa, that wicked king, can understand that he is being invited by God to side with God, to repent and come to him. If he can get it, everybody can get it. We're going to come to that in a little bit. But when he says he declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, when he got converted, he was in Damascus and he had to escape that city because they were going to kill him for preaching what uh, Christ had done for him and that Christ had made it available to Jews and Gentiles alike. So he goes to Arabia, he spends time with the Lord, and then he makes his way back into the promised land to Judea and finally in Jerusalem. And then he has to escape Jerusalem because of, of a plot to kill him yet again. All this for complying with the Lord to go preach the gospel. He is doing the Lord's will and people are trying to kill him. And I have a bad day and I ask Jesus what's going on. It says, and then to the Gentiles. That inflamed the zealot Jews of his day. And they never uh, forgot this and will look for any chance to kill him that they could get. That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. He's giving them Jesus Christ. This is part of the process. Turn from Christlessness. That's what he's saying. Repentance is a change of mind. And how I view things, how I see things now. It is, all, it is essential for salvation. You cannot become saved without repentance, without saying, yes, God, you are right. I am a sinner. I confess my sin. Regeneration, which is being born again, being, uh, that is a change of heart. So repentance is a change of mind. I'm boiling it down. Uh, Regeneration is a change of heart. The whole of me. How I see life. How God has taken from me that uh, hardened heart against the Christ and given me a new heart. And redemption overall is a change of destiny. Where I'm going. And so, again, repentance is a change of mind, regeneration is a change of heart, and redemption is a change of destiny. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Well, there it is laid out for you. A new mind, a new heart, a new place to go. Together these make up genuine salvation. Ephesians 4, that you put on the new man which was created according to God. In true righteousness and holiness. Verse 21 now. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Well, there again, as we covered already, their hatred for him was intensified by the fact that he was a former rabbi. He was one of them. He had no right to trade. Now he's running off all over the world telling Gentiles they could enjoy the identical salvation that the Jews enjoyed. They hated him for this. And that's what he's saying. This is what I was doing and this is why I'm standing here in front of you. Through faith in Jesus Christ, who they detested. It's just, he piled up offenses. Like we do. When we come out and say, we're not for this, you know, uh, you know uh, men trying to be women, women trying to be men. We're not for uh, sexual perversity. We're, when we stand up and say, we're not for these things. We have attacked their church. We have attacked their doctrine. These things are sacred to them now. And we become the enemy. Well, Paul was going through that in his 
world also. Now, Festus, who is the uh, Roman governor, uh, he realizes Paul is innocent. But he caused this mess by playing politics with Paul. You know, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem and there you can have your own people deal with this. And Paul said, no way. I'm go, I'm go, go, I appeal to Caesar because if you send me back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. And so, you know, Festus is in a spot now, and that's why he's asked Agrippa to come and hear Paul out so that they can figure out what charges to send him to Caesar with. Well, Paul takes the opportunity and says, well, here's why I'm on trial. And then he gives them Jesus. He gives them the gospel. He's more interested in their salvation than he is in his emancipation. How do you get to this level of Christianity? Well, may we pursue, may we, may, we, may we chase it, may we go after it, find out. And if we never attain to this level, we'll still be better off by just trying to do better in our faith. Verse 22, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Paul said they tried to kill me, but God helped me. That's why I'm here now. And he says, I stand, I'm, I'm firm to this day. I'm, I'm not backing down, I'm not caving in, I'm not going to appease anybody when it comes to the gospel. <clears throat> then he adds, witnessing both to small and great, as he was doing at this very moment before them. He saw them as lost souls. He was not interested in their social status. He was not impressed, he was not intimidated. He saw lost souls, and that's what he dealt with. And that's a pattern for us. Because when you get caught up with who this person is, you're not focused on who Christ is so much. It doesn't matter who they are in, in life. What matters is you preaching what the Holy Spirit has given you to say to that person. And you can't do that if you're not knowledgeable about the word, if you don't know what you believe, if you're just following somebody else. But if it's yours, you understand the basics of Christianity then you become very useful to God and a threat to the kingdom of hell. Saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. There it is. He said, I just preached the Bible. That's it. The difference between the rabbis and the preachers of the gospel was the rabbis used the teachings of men and all their doctrines and all their funny words. We still have this in Christendom. We've got all sorts of titles for you. Whether you believe in the rapture, whether you don't believe in the rapture, whether you drink decaf or regular, they got a word for it. You spend so much time trying to figure out their words, you're not spending time in the word. And if you've ever had to deal with one of these people, you understand they filter everything by those definitions and not what the scripture's saying all the time. I mean, some of them are, you know, hold it together, but a lot of them, they're just, it's disappointing. That they can't get past pigeonholing everyone. Jesus doesn't pigeonhole me. Why would I be so quick? I just want to know what the scripture says. If you're going to have a pigeonhole, there's one giant one. What does the Bible say? Paul is saying to this audience in front of him, and it was the kings and their commanders and the other uh, VIPs of his day. He says, I taught... Scripture, uh, the fulfillment of what was already declared and in publication, oh, some of it over a thousand years. I mean, the words of David were a thousand, written a thousand years ago. And throughout Acts, the gospel is presented as fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture and the prophecies there. And the reason why uh, is why he is doing this and saying this is because it's just fact. He's a, he deals in the facts. He would have made a good engineer. You want an engineer to deal in fact, do you not? What if he just came up with a good idea and didn't run it by numbers, you know, didn't do the formulas and find out, you know, how much stress this could take? What would happen? You'd be at the bottom of the deep blue river every time you went on a bridge built by somebody like that. Anyway, um, I, I digress. Uh, it's saying no other things than those which, were, which the prophets and Moses said would come. 
Well, we should take a couple of these scriptures. Psalm 40, verse 7. This is a thousand years before this event. And that would make it 3,000 years from our time. Then I said, Behold, wrote the psalmist, Psalm 40, verse 7, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. Well, now, who could say that in the future? Who could point to that verse and say, That's talking about me? Well, John the Baptist, to some degree, could, but he would be out of context. That's a messianic verse. So when Christ comes along, he applies it to himself. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Not just that one verse, the scriptures. And he says, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. Well, Agrippa, he respects the scriptures. He knows the scriptures. Paul's going to point that out. And yet he's not willing to come. You can, you, can, you can be dying right next to Jesus Christ. and You still have a self-will. It's still going to be up to you. What did Jesus say to the, to the outlaw that asked for forgiveness? He said, today you'll be with me in heaven. What did he say to the other one? Nothing. That's the point. You do not want to be in a spot where God has nothing to say to you. He can't say, well done. He can't say work on it. There's nothing he can say because you've made your you've your choices have made it impossible for God to talk to you, to minister to you. Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, Bethlehem, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That is the eternal feature of deity. You have to be divine. You have to be God to have an eternity past. Well, Christ has that. And he talks about it as he went through, you know, dealt with the rabbis, dealt with his apostles. He talked about his eternal state. Especially in, you read uh, John chapter 17, where the Lord is praying. And uh, it, is, it is inescapable. And so there are just some of the scriptures. There, there are many, many Old Testament scriptures. We'll come to, uh, well, I'll, I'll reference them. It'll take too much time to read them all, or read, even to read a lot. Verse 23, he's continuing with what the scripture says, that Christ would suffer, that Messiah would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Well, that's Psalm 22, that's Psalm 69, that's Isaiah 53, that's Isaiah 9. It's all over the place. If you are a Christian, that's yours. You understand this. You love the fact that the Bible predicts the future and fulfills it. You love, that's one of the endearing parts of Christianity. If you don't believe that, if you challenge that, then you've got some heavy issues concerning uh, your eternal state. Are you now in a position where you pick and choose what parts of the Bible you are going to believe and what parts you are not? That makes you the judge. And uh, in the presence of God, it's, it's not only laughable and not in a humorous way, it damns the soul, or potentially. He continues here in verse 23 after saying that Christ would suffer. He continues that he would be the first to rise from the dead. You know, he's only using scripture, not giving any of his opinions. Psalm 16, verse 10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. His body would not decompose. He would rise again and in a glorified body, in a glorified state. I love that he's, the Bible's good enough for Paul. Just, I just love that. He doesn't say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says, well, there's two theories to this. He just said, this is what the scripture says. This is witnessing. Uh, now, Bible teaching, you know, you have a wider margin, but witnessing, you don't need a wider margin. You need to tell what you've seen and point out that this is how it's been presented to us. No other religion on earth has this. Now, 
I find it amazing that in an, a largely anti-Semitic world, an anti-Jewish people world, you have Gentiles worshiping a Jewish Messiah. That is the gospel overcoming, breaking down walls, partitions. This, Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Satan tries to keep these divisions up, these walls up. He says, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So Paul says, that's what I was doing. Just what Isaiah says in, in well, Genesis chapter 12, that, that uh, from Abraham would, would come a blessing to all people. And then uh, Isaiah 42, 1, 42, 6, 49, 6, to be a light to the Gentiles. How does a Jewish person say, well, I'll take these prophecies of Isaiah because I like them. But I won't take these because I don't like them. Well, you, we all, we, hopefully you see the folly of that. You see that the quagmire, the spiritual quagmire that, that places you in. Why not just accept the scriptures for what they are? Now, one of the Jews would say, yes, he's going to be a light to the Gentiles to make the Gentiles Jewish. Well, that's not what the scripture says. Not at all. Verse 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. And that word mad is in the Greek crazy. We get our English word mania from it. And he does it with a loud voice, this outburst of blindness, so that everybody can hear. Festus sought to break the momentum. You know, you just, I don't want this. I don't want to hear this. Now is not the time for truth. <laughs> now it's not the time for religion. Paul has taken over the court, incidentally, if you haven't noticed it. He's got them on defense. He's on offense. He is attacking the gates of hell. And they don't know what to do. They would come right up to the wicked gate, to the brink of salvation, and not go a step further. Paul first said this, verse 20, Repent, turn to God, do works befitting repentance. See your guilt... Turn to God for the solution and then live as though you've been dealing with that guilt, the things that have made you guilty. You're, not, you're trying not to do them anymore. Then he says this, that he would, verse 23, that he would be first to rise from the dead. Give him Jesus, Paul, because Satan will give him hell. As a Christian, I have never tried to give him hell. I have tried always to give him Jesus. And I think every Christian should. Fact. Sinners are free to deny God and withhold their love from Him. They are free to do this. It's their choice. I know there are those that say you don't have any choices. We just I, I, I categorically disagree with that. Many of them are my brothers and sisters in Christ. But on this point, uh, I vehemently disagree. I don't see that in the Scriptures. God says, throw down your weapons of war against me and open your heart and receive me. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Well, that's not the whole story, because if it was, nobody would get saved. The natural man cannot unless God invites him. And we have a God who is willing that none should perish. So the invitations abound. Peter had no idea that Satan was working behind the, the scenes, influencing him as a disciple of Christ. He had no idea when he said to Jesus there in Caesarea Philippi, uh, Don't, you're not going to the cross, Jesus. Just get that out of your mind. You're not gonna, he didn't know he was saying, you cannot die for sinners. That's, he, didn't, he was ignorant. He was ignorant of a lot of things. Oblivious to the fact that he had become the devil's instrument, the devil's voice. And Jesus was not having any of it. Because God was there too. In Christ, in the Spirit, the Father is always present. And Peter and the disciples were going to be uh, taught a lesson at this point. Mark chapter 8, verse 33. But he turned around and looked at his disciples. When he heard Peter say this, Jesus looked at the disciples. He said, class is in session. Don't miss any of what I'm about to tell you. 
And this is what he said, and nobody ever forgot this. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. That's the world. That is the world. That is the person that comes to a church and doesn't want to hear the Bible preached. Because they are mindful of the things of men. And that will damn your soul. We don't hear enough of that perhaps today. Do, do, do we preach to people? There is a damning of the soul. Maybe it was overplayed at certain points in our history. But now it seems to be underplayed. There is a hell. There is an eternal death. That is not going to go good for anybody who dies in that state. And that's why the angels rejoice when one sinner converts. They understand what these things mean. Such is the story of spiritual blindness, the devil at work, and the instrument oblivious, not willing to admit it. I mean, where would you get the name Satan? From the Bible. And is he is Satan not the character that loses? He's thrown into the abyss in the end? Why would you have Satanists siding with that team? Why would you have anybody attracted? Well, I'm a Satanist. No, you're just stupid. That's all you are. You put any of the titles or you're insulting. No, you're insulting yourself. You're born with more intelligence with that, but you have overrode the system. So now you're defective and nobody can fix it because you've installed booby traps. This is the world we live in. And it is important to stay focused. And our, one of our examples is this man, Paul. He is staying focused. So Festus, the Roman governor, says to him, Paul, you are beside yourself. Now, that, that is uh, sort of an uh, idiom, I guess. Uh, it, it's, you're walking down the street talking to yourself like there's two people there. I mean, I, we all talk to ourselves sometimes. Some, and, but, but not carry on an argument. There's <laughs> those two separate people there. And so that's what it means. You're beside yourself. You're not right. The audience had a good laugh at that. When he said that, you can bet there was a yucking it up going on in that room. Why? Because a crucified king, a crucified savior, was unappealing to the Roman mind. A risen Savior was unbelievable. And that's what you're getting with Festus. I don't believe this risen stuff. Yeah, but Festus, if we talked about what you believe in versus what I believe in, you would have to admit, I mean, the gods beating people up, attacking each other, getting drunk. I mean, come on, your, your mythological gods are pathetic. Well, I'll hopefully get back to that one too. Anyway, well, we'll stay on a little bit more. The gods of the Greeks were adopted by the Romans. The Romans said, we like those gods, but we just need to give, make them ours, give them our names, and, and that's what they did. And that's why, you know, Zeus becomes Jupiter, for example. Those gods were violent, they were vindictive, they were petty, and Rome preferred those gods over the god that said, I love you so much, I'm going to deal with your sin for you. I just need you to side with me. That's too much to ask. Yeah, well, because there's a real devil there in the background. And uh, John 3, verse 19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They're up to no good. And you've got to face that. And if you don't face it, you try to sweep it under the rug, you've just created a trip hazard. It's still there. You're accountable. It's the difference in our theology. The Kofar in the Old Testament covered the sins. Until Messiah came, then the sins were removed. They were covered no more. They were actually washed away in the blood of Christ. It is significant. These parallels in this created universe, uh, they make a lot of sense. They make points. Much learning has driven you mad. First uh, Corinthians one twenty three. Paul already wrote this letter. He says, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. And, and he's living it out right now. They, it, it was, well, not all Greeks, because Luke, who, who was the author of the book of Acts, he was Greek. And he, Luke loves pointing out the beauty of the Jewish scripture, of the Jewish Messiah. 
He comes to Christ. There's no racism anymore. He understands where everything is coming from, where everything is going. He understands who's useful to Satan and who is not. And he has recorded it for us. The devil never puts up with truth. Never. If you say, I'm going to stand firm in Christ, that is a truth that comes from the Scripture. We just read about Paul saying that. The devil's going to say, I'm not standing for that. I'm going to attack it. John chapter 10, many of them said about Jesus, many of them said, he has a demon. He's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Satan is still saying that. Why do you go to that church that preaches the Bible? That's why I go to that church. They preach the Bible. Why do you stay out of that church that preaches the Bible? Because your deeds are evil and you love the darkness. How convenient for the world to hope that Christians and our Christ are mad, are insane. How convenient. Just brush it off. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess before the Jesus that the world thought was crazy. We have an entire generation who is not bothered by being proven wrong. You can just turn on to any of the, you know, the university students who think they're so smart and they're going to trip up and then they get shot down and they don't go, wow, I never saw it that way. I'm going to change my position. No, they just double down. You've completely destroyed my logic, but I'll find more illogic to replace it. Reason doesn't help them because it interferes with preference, and that's madness. That's insane. Smugly schooling each other in the ways of wicked irrational. This is what we're watching in, in, the, in the world uh, and pretending to be savvy. It's global. Again, you, you just, you, we now see the book of Revelation coming t- uh, to, to the prophecies global. The book of Revelation is global. Such tribulations such as the world has not known. Not one part of it. And there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, there will be earthquakes, there will be floods, there will be fires. Lightweight to what's coming. What's coming? There will not be, well, there's a local flood in so-and-so place. No, there will be Everything's falling apart everywhere at the same time. And many of them will still harden their hearts. Some of them will be saved. For many, their sacred purpose in life is to overthrow truth and decency with queerness and anarchy. And we can't, we don't want to hate them. We're forbidden from hating We've got to call them out on it if it comes off across our desk. I don't believe that. It's okay to say that. You say, well, I might get fired. That's what persecution is. God will provide something else. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives to the death. I think every Christian, you know, every uh, infantryman, every sailor on a warship says to themselves, I would think, How am I going to do in combat? Am I going to want to run or am I going to fight? What Christians should be saying, how am I going to do if persecution comes? Am I going to stand firm in the Lord no matter what? Or am I going to run away and change teams and lose my soul? Uh, It is not something to panic over. It is something to put in its place. The way I do it is I say, Lord, you know what I want to do. And I know what you want to do. So if it comes to that, I know what's going to happen. You will give the strength. You will give the power. And I'm comfortable with that. Uh, That's blessed assurance. There's a blessed assurance that says I know I'm going to heaven. And there's a blessed assurance that says I still know I'm going to heaven. No matter what. Uh, Verse 25. But he said, I'm not mad most Festus. It's kind of odd sounding, is it? Not I'm not mad most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth and reason. Respectfully, I'm not giving you an inch. But I speak the words of truth and reason. And as with Felix, the governor before Festus, now's not the time for truth. Some other time. Churches who trade truth and reason for nickels and noses. That's what they're doing. You know, we want people to come back. We better stop preaching the Bible. Do they 
and their attendees not know that that is millstone-ish. Matthew 26, verse 24, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Their soul will be like having a millstone wrapped around the neck and cast into the sea, which he uses as an example when he talks about those who are influencing children, who are harming children. Where are the child protective service agencies when they have these drag queen shows for kindergartners? I I don't know. I mean, uh, my decision, our decision for homeschooling was this. I don't want to go to jail. Because the minute they started with, you know, their psychology, you need to do this, you know, I would open that can of spinach up and... It just would not have been well. So it was best, you know what? Let's just let's just intercept this because we were able. Not every, not all Christians are able. Not many Christians can. They got a public school, and we have no right to look down on them for that. They're in the thick of it. If anything, we should be holding their arms up and say, "You, we got your back." Um, so uh, anyway, where was I? Okay, here I am. So on matters of human origin, human behavior. Pain, sorrow, death, afterlife. Only Christianity makes sense. I don't say that because I've always been a Christian. I have spent my time not being a Christian. I know what the world has to offer. I know what the other religions say. Enough of them. And I think they make no sense. They can't back it up. They have no spiritual feature. What is a spiritual feature? Our prophecy is high up on that list. That I can tell the future. This is, we've been going through this with Isaiah. God says, all right, let's chat, bring your little fake gods and you tell me what's going to happen. And they could not. God is not ashamed of Christianity, but many churchgoers are. And they want to be able to go to church, feel like they're still going to heaven and God's somehow going to look over their lives while they thumb their nose at the things he said. Sort of like an ingrate teen or an ingrate child because they're ingrates that are past their teens. They're in their 40s and 50s and they're ingrates. Well, don't give up if you are in that. If you have loved ones like that, don't give up. So long as there is life, don't give up. And then after life, you just leave it with the Lord. He always does the right thing. And when you get to heaven, you won't have. It'd be a little like this church. There's nothing to complain about. <laughs> Verse twenty-six. Why is that funny? Verse twenty-six. Well, we got to finish this up. Uh, for the, verse 26, for the king before whom I stand, before, well, let me go back to this. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. He's talking about the, the life and crucifixion, resurrection of Christ. He's singling. Now he's moved on. Fine. Festus, you think I'm crazy? I'm done with you. Now he goes on to Agrippa. And this is the Christ on the cross. You know, the, the thief, the, the, the outlaw that didn't want to hear it, so he didn't get it. But uh, the other one, he, he dialogued with him. Well, Festus said, you're crazy. Paul says, all right, you, Festus, let's, I mean, Agrippa, let's deal with you now. Now, when he says, I know you know these things, because you got your spies out, you got your spy network. When Christ rose again, and he comes along, and he finds Cleopas and another going down the road to Emmaus, and he joins them. And he says, what's going on, guys? Why so glum, chum? Because, you know, they're, they're sad and all. And, and so we pick it up, Luke 24. Then one of those, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? In other words, everybody knows about the crucifixion of Christ. And Paul is now, over almost 30 years later, saying to Agrippa, You know the story. You know it, and I know you know it. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Oh, man. Agrippa is saying, can somebody just pull the fire alarm? Just get me out of here. He's the king, and he is in the hot seat. No one ever stood up to him. No one ever did this to him before. I don't think he gets another chance, though. Well, he knew Agrippa knew the Old Testament. He knew Agrippa 
enjoyed the Old Testament. And he's saying, you know these prophecies are in there. Paul is, uh, again, more interested in their salvation than his freedom. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Again, break the momentum. Change the subject. Depraved Agrippa could tell that Christ was inviting him. This is a man in incestuous relationships, just to begin with. And yet he can tell from what Paul talked about repentance and serving God as enough of the gospel for him to say, you're inviting me to be a Christian. And yet, he won't take a step further. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, that is hell. And there are many who go in by it. Perdition. The Bible teaches choice when it comes to believing God. In Isaiah, Isaiah was talking, the prophet, and chap, we covered this Wednesday, but I, I didn't make this point. Well, I'm making it now. Isaiah said, you know, if you follow those fake gods, it's your choice. Isaiah 41, verse 24. Indeed, you are nothing, speaking to the idols, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. Oh, but the Bible doesn't mean that. It means exactly that. Agrippa has a choice right here, and he's going to make the wrong one. Festus already made his choice. No verse in Scripture tells us we're so bad that we cannot accept the invitation. Then why give an invitation? Well, Paul hit them with verse 20, that they should repent, turn to God, do works befitting of repentance. That's an invitation. Verse 23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. These are the scripture verses that Paul is saying, do you know the scripture, Agrippa? You know the story? Connect the dots. What are you left with? You're left with Christ is the Messiah. That's what you're left with. You almost make me a Christian. Agrippa realized what was happening here. That he was on defense. That he was being, his soul was being attacked and invited at the same time. Now, Agrippa used the word Christians, a nervous dismissal. Christians wasn't the word for Christians, or by, used by the Christians at that time in history. That became our title. They were those of the way, disciples of Christ. When Paul answers this statement of Agrippa, he's not going to use the word Christian. He omits that word. So it's like Agrippa saying to him, you're almost making me a Jesus freak. That's what's going on. And instead of Paul saying, I wish you were a Jesus freak. He's not going to do that. He's, he's just, his act is two together. Verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. The description of Paul, according to 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, his bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. Add to that chains. And yet, he's running the show. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things of the world to bring to nothing the strength of the mighty. And we're seeing it in action. Here is Agrippa in his purple robe. Bernice is no doubt bedecked with jewels. They came in with great pomp and ceremony, we're told in Acts 25, 23. And Festus is robed in scarlet, and there's Paul in chains. I don't know if he's in rags or just a common, more likely just a common robe. He's not, you know, been in prison that long for that. He's loud visitors. But he's in chains, and he's a common man. And Jesus has not come into our lives to enslave us, to shackle our life. He says, you should know the truth, and the truth should set you free, and he is the truth. And he says here, uh, Paul, it's very important. You might become both... Almost and altogether such as I am. Paul was not trying to lead anybody to be almost a Christian. To die almost saved is to die damned. And he, this is in his life, his theology. And God is not after almost saving people. And being almost saved is sort of like being almost alive. There's, there's no such thing. 
You either are alive or you're dead. Even if your vitals are low, you still there's life there. We even have a special office to confirm that there's no more life, right? The, the coroner, or do we have doctors to assign to do that. Anyway, verse 30, when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. He stood up, well, if nobody's going to pull a fire alarm, then we're going to just end this thing. Two, we're almost done. Um, today is Leap Sunday, so we, we can have extra time. Uh, just two verses, and we're almost done. Uh, the cost of refusing Christ is not worth it. Revelation 21.8. And I, I read these verses to we Christians so we can use them. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, those afraid to make that commitment, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters... And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Well, let's finish verse 31 and 32. I'll get to the other quote. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, verse 31 is where I am, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Verse 32, Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, you're stuck, Festus. You should have thought about a charge on him before he was allowed to appeal to, Fest, uh, to, to Caesar. But no, you're politicking, and now you're stuck. That's basically what he's telling him. I can't help you. I don't know what charge to make against him. The most persuasive saint cannot persuade a soul against their will. Christ could not save anyone when he walked the earth, or else they wouldn't have crucified him. Paul could not, neither can we. But we're after the ones that can be saved. When the roll call is given in heaven, missing from that call will be Felix and Drusilla, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice. And I'll close with this verse, Revelation 20, verse 15. You all know this verse. Let's recite it together. Kidding. <laughs> I'd be pretty impressed. <laughs> yeah, I got it, Pastor. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's a serious consequence for messing around with the Christ. And the world does not believe it. Many of them do not know it. And that's part of uh, what we're here for. That's our assignment, our mission. Let's uh, pray, and let's pray that we can reach the lost. Our Father in heaven, your word, it never disappoints. It always delivers. It always challenges. It encourages those who love you. And it, and it calls into accountability those who don't love you, but it then offers them an opportunity to escape a sure judgment that looms over their life. We who love you, who are born again, we would ask that you continue to find us useful, to use us. We ask that you would help us with our devotional time, help us with our study time, that we would know how to give to every man an answer for the reason of our hope with meekness and respect. And then, Lord, there are those that may be present or watching that have not opened their heart to your Son, Jesus Christ. Hell looms over them. A sure and fiery eternity is something that they're not going to do well with. They're not going to somehow make it work. Today is the day of salvation. If you want to open your heart to God, you need to almost and altogether come to Him. It needs to be your choice. God will treat you like the adult you claim to be or the person smart enough to make a choice for yourself. Well, here's the offer. If you want to come to Christ, you make this prayer with me, he will receive you. And hell will lose one more citizen. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I do repent. I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. I ask that you make me one of your own. I ask that from this day forward, that you be the one that saves my soul 
and the one who rules over my life, and I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not back down later, but may they stand by their confession, and may they share it when the invitation is given. We pray these things in Jesus' name.